Welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Jocelyn, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Ryan. Hello, Ryan. I have had a long journey. It's, uh... <laughs> but we're here, and uh, Skype is, uh, or Steam is running, so I'm not used to recording on my on a Windows PC, so uh, hopefully nothing bad happens. Knock on wood. <laughs> So, yeah, I do. No. I do love that. I know. And uh, chat room is telling me that I am a tad quiet. I don't know what happened. We had literally half an hour of tech issues heading into this episode. Ryan's computer died. Skype is being a dick. We don't really know <laughs> what any of the problems are. I've balanced us as best as I could. I'm sorry. I'll just try to yell. <laughs> right. Windows. Right. Maybe, maybe I'm too loud. Maybe that's the problem. No, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's whatever. whatever. It is what it is. Welcome to Gamers Inc, guys. We're going to get through this episode as fast as possible. <laughs> it's literally I, painful right now. <laughs> I, uh, I feel bad for, for this episode because there's some great stuff that we want to talk about this week. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about this stuff. And hopefully it'll make a return for an episode where we're a little more cheerful. So. <laughs> well, that's OK, because the game that I played this week mm. is definitely not cheerful. Oh, perfect. I don't know about yours, though. What is it? Why don't you tell me a little bit about God of War? Because everyone's talking about this game. And for good reason. It's a pretty phenomenal game in that this is not the God of War you're used to or even expected. Like when they announce a revisit to a franchise that was clearly run into the ground pretty hard. Uh, like they they crashed it and then like, you know, picked all the pieces up and then crashed it into the ground again. Like God of War never really failed, never got to the Mass Effect Andromeda point. But if they had made <laughs> Not a sequel, many things do. <laughs> no, if they had made a sequel to Ascension, I think it would have been like an Andromeda uh, situation. But, you know, God of War is known for its, you know, over the top gameplay, over the top uh, sort of bloody gore, ripping things apart. Rob, super angry and muscular and not wearing a shirt. But in this one, they've basically taken Kratos, the character, and transplanted him from his God of War 3 era and put him in a new game. You know, it, this is not the God of War sequel that you expect. It's not a higher resolution God of War. This is a brand new God of War game. And it's a new game type as well. Like, it's not... It's just not God of War that you're expecting, which is great because the old God of War, you know, formula wouldn't work here because it was very much based in like a 90s. I'm going to tear some dudes apart. And there's always a sex mini game at the beginning. Like that was at the, the original... beginning. <laughs> That's a yeah, good, okay. one, good way to lead off. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, start with your best tits uh, boobs forward. You know, uh, anyways, <laughs> uh, that was terrible. I meant feet anyways. Uh, so with this one. There's no mini game like that. Like in in the other games, it was always like the first part of it was like a bunch of combat, tear some people apart, and then a threesome, you know, mini game. You're like mashing buttons. And then in this one, <laughs> I'm not joking. Have you ever played a God of War? I have game? not played a God of War, and I, I feel like I've missed out. <laughs> you have not, because after the fourth one, it's like, guys, you're trying too hard. Like, how is it just by happenstance that Kratos just you know, trips into a threesome every video he's in. <laughs> I don't think that's how it works. You know, I mean, it's not you like never he's just like, tripped and fallen into a whole pile of boobs. <laughs> no, it's not like he's like trolling on Craigslist and like, all right, I got to make sure that I got Craigslist. my mini. 
Ryan. Is that what Craigslist is a thing, right? That's or Reddit, I guess. I don't know. There are several. Or Reddit. Anyway, the the point of the matter is, is that this is a brand new game. There there is none of that. It it kicks off in a way that's very cinematic in that that's not in the God of War style. And I think that I got to I just got to stress that this is when it, when it's getting really good reviews, it's because this game took the Kratos character and put him in a scenario where it does not forget the first three games. I mean, it's not like they mentioned the threesome, but they like, you know, they just don't really address they they, they leave that stuff. It happened to Kratos. He was a character that existed in those games. And at, it, this game makes sense in the canon of it all because at the end of the third one, spoiler alert, he kills all the gods, he's still a god, and he walks away because he killed all the gods because gods are asshole. He, his words, not mine. Okay. And <laughs> and in this one, he's he's in the Norse area, so he's in Midgard, and he has a son. Uh, and this is not a spoiler. At first five minutes of the game, your wife is dead. Um, it does not show her death. It just sort of, you see her and you're collecting things for her funeral pyre and, and it continues from there. And, and it's about a journey between you and your son as you head towards the, uh, the mountain, you're trying to carry her ashes to the top of the mountain. That's your quest. And in the other God of War games, it was like, nah, we're just going to kill the gods because gods are assholes. Again, Kratos's words, not mine. So in this one, it's it's the, about this emotional journey that you and your son are taking together to take your his mother and your wife's you know ashes to the top of this mountain and it really humanizes this character that you really didn't think could be humanized so we talked about the threesome bit did i mention there's threesomes in the original series once or twice <laughs> okay perfect well let's look at another example of why kratos is a bit of a dick so there's a puzzle in the original games. This is a great example of, of how they've taken this character and, and evolved him. There's a puzzle where you have to uh, keep two cogs in place so a door does not slam shut. So you can hold the one up because you're strong, but the other one's farther across. So what do you do? This like old man walks across and he's like, oh, son, we've been trying to get this door. And you grab him and you shove him into the gear to hold the gear in place. And he dies, of course, in a horrible way. Obviously. <laughs> You just hold the other gear up and like that's how much of an asshole Kratos is in the original <laughs> games. So in this one, he's still, you know, he's still a bit of a, a butt. Uh, you know, he he's kind of a bad father. He he yells a lot at his kid and, and chastises him. And, but, you know, he means well, I guess, like like all uh, parents do anyways. And <laughs> that's the story of it all. The, the story is very entertaining. It's It's very gripping. You don't know you know why things are happening you don't know why all of a sudden there are these monsters around and why you're being attacked and and why this journey to this mountain is is causing so much grief and i'm about a few hours in so slowly it's starting to unravel and i i think this game is worth so wait, experiencing. you're a few hours in and you still haven't made it up the mountain no that well the mountain's the end game man like that's, oh is it oh okay it's far away oh like, i thought you like started at the bottom of the mountain and you were just like climbing up to the top and you spent hours climbing this mountain i was like I that sounds really to, boring <laughs> i haven't even made it to the bottom i am oh, still okay. with uh the you know the skeletons from skyrim they they've started to pop up the they call them the droggers or whatever yeah. and 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 that brings me to my next point and that the combat has is very different it's more like and you're gonna hate me for saying this it's more like dark souls and that it's 
it's very heavy, very deliberate, except it, unlike Dark Souls, you can take some hits. Mm. I mean, you are the God of War, right? So that makes can... sense. If if like little skeleton minions could one shot the God of War, that would be really dumb. <laughs> yeah. So y- you you're able to and there's some dodging and there's some, you know, some movement skills and and some combos. And that's where this game really, you know, harkens back to the original series and that there is some brutal combat in there. Like you can build up a stun meter and then when when that stun meter is, is built up, you can grab the guy and tear him apart. But it's not it's not gratuitous. It's it, it feels like it feels pretty, pretty practical in the terms that he's a god. He's super strong. And he's tearing bad guys apart. And usually those bad guys that he's he's really reckon are are these like skeletal elemental type enemies. So the combat's really satisfying. And your son also helps out all the time. Like you can instruct him to shoot arrows and you can build up his his skills. So where where the original God of War games were, you know, static camera, run around mash some buttons and do some cool combos and hit X square circle triangle to, to make a a pop a guy's head off in this one. You it's, it's a continuous camera. There's no loading screens. You're continuously moving through like scenes and combat and there's no pause. Like there are these cut scenes where, where they'll take control away, but it's all one fluid movement. There's no cuts. Mm. It's kind of, very much it's very impressive how they've how they've taken this game and and created this this kind of work of art experience exactly and and you feel it like there are moments where you're playing this game and it seamlessly sort of transitions you into a moment where your character is maybe walking and and it feels right like when they take control away from you it doesn't feel forced it's like it's a natural sort of path forward you know for you to sit back and and kind of experience what they're about to show you but um they're like there are skill trees so you're unlocking new skills uh new combos there's equipment you know you can upgrade your equipment you can purchase new equipment you can purchase ruins for your for your axe and stuff oh man like you can throw your axe and then like you just kind of like thor mjolnir sort of like put your hand out and it comes back to you super satisfying the combat is is probably some of the greatest combat i've ever experienced in video games and that's that's like including the batman style uh you know with the counters and the big fights and jumping from one dude to another yeah it just feels really satisfying at the beginning you're like oh man this is kind of cumbersome but then once you realize that you you have a little more you know, control and you kind of have to, you know, mix things up a bit. It feels really satisfying, especially when you do defeat, you know, a large group of enemies and they are sending, you know, between two to 10 enemies at you at a time. And you have to kind of micromanage, um, those enemies and, and yeah, like all the layers they've applied, the game looks amazingly beautiful. Uh, yeah, the reviews are really spot on with this one. Like they've really created a, top-notch product and it constantly surprises me like games like this are what microsoft need to be looking at and kind of being a little worried that they are being left in the dust because i don't think microsoft released a game like like this experience since i guess around gears 4 which i mean i wouldn't necessarily compare gears 4 to god of war but that would have been the last game that they released as a a single player experience with a 
true campaign in mind. And and they don't, uh, as far as I know, they don't have any exclusives coming out this year. See if these was their big one. And it's, um, I mean, obviously we're still doing, we have one more episode of Shipwrecks and Shanties that we're going to do, but the game is, I enjoy it, but it's very much falling off because of like yeah. the, the grind that it takes to get to pretty much no end game. So the, the whole like experience of Sea of Thieves is kind of, it's still like a fun gameplay loop, but mm -hmm. it's more fun with more people. And there's not as many people that have kept up with it because these really great story experiences are coming out. And just like the amount of time you have to play games is limited because some of these experiences are really deep and interesting and cinematic and, yeah, so I think um, Sea of Thieves was the only exclusive coming for at least Xbox this year, as yeah. far as I know. And uh, yeah, they're they're going to lose a lot of ground really quickly. Yeah, it, it's uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how they react at E3. And I know, as Void is saying, Crackdown 3 is due this year. And, I thought and that, that got delayed. It it got delayed further. Like, mm -hmm. I think it was early spring and then they probably pushed it to a fall date. I they're having a rough go over at Microsoft seeming to, you know, they're not, they're not really able to to push some things to the finish line. Like they've killed a lot of games. Like again, void is suggesting or saying that, you know, platinum's uh, dragon game, Dragonborn, dragon scale or something. Oh you were yeah. The one I was really excited about. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, halo six is coming again. I don't mean to, to crap on, you know, the Xbox one, but you know, it's kind of hard to look at God of War and and look at Horizon and Horizon last year to God of War this year. There was no response from Microsoft to both the you know to a whole year of of stellar products. And we mm -hmm. you know we have Spider Man coming in September. Uh, we have you know the the new um, game from uh, Detroit Become Human that's coming out next month. And yeah, I, I'm. I'm looking forward to E3 to see what they have to kind of, you know, address this stuff. I know they're working on first party titles and maybe we'll get like a hint at Halo 6. But um, yeah, with, with God of War, it's just it's a really stellar product. And they use the original trilogy as like something events that inform Kratos's character, like his past is catching up with them and he's trying mm -hmm. to protect his son. And he... At first, he seems like, you know, just kind of a bad dad. But honestly, he's just he just cares a lot for his kid. Like it's a rough world. Right. And if, if he's not rough on his son, then, you know, who's going to teach him to survive in this? Because it's still it's still like Norse mythology. Like it's very much, you know, glowing deers and glowing boars and weird skeleton people who are going to attack you at every turn. <laughs> Uh, but no, I, I mean, honestly, and the other thing, too, is if, if you haven't played a God of War game before, you don't need to play it. I would actually strongly suggest you just you just pick up God of War and, and um, know that there were three games and just know that Kratos spent a lot of time killing Greek gods because he felt wronged, even though he was it was kind of his fault. Um, OK, <laughs> you know. Uh, he, he killed uh, in the original trilogy. He killed his uh, his wife and kid uh, because he was tricked into thinking there was somebody else, and he killed them. And he's like, "Oh no!" So you then, know, this was a new wife and kid, or yeah, he tried it. He tried to get. Tried it. Again? I, I, we don't, I see. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know the story. Well, so far, I don't know the story between God of War three and God of War. Um, so I don't know what happened in between those those games. I don't know what happened to his wife. I'm sure. 
it will be elaborated upon as, as the game continues. I'm only about, I'd say four to five hours through it right now, but it's just, it's one of those games that I come across every once in a while where it's really got its teeth in me and it's all I want to play. Like the last, a good example of that would have been like the original Batman Arkham Asylum. Like I, I couldn't play anything else until I was finished with that. I just had to experience everything about it before I moved on. And those games just don't come very often. And I think God of War is one of them where I'm just going to just going to double down and play it and and get through it and, and just experience everything there is to it because it it feels so cinematic. And, and I want to see where I want to see what they do with this character, because honestly, I had just labeled God, you know, God of War and Kratos is kind of like a man, you know, like it's a, it's a it was once a triple A character, but is now kind of like the Iron Man of Sony characters, you know, before, <laughs> you know, before they made a bunch of Iron Man movies. <laughs> Bad example, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, I recommend it wholeheartedly. Those reviews are not wrong. It's a really, really good game and possibly uh, my first game that's a contender for game of the year. Like there really hasn't been really? anything else this year just yet. So, yeah, I strongly suggest checking it out. I, I might give it a shot that even Far Cry 5, you didn't you didn't think Far Cry 5 was a, a game of the year contender? Far Cry 5 is a fun playground, but at the end of the day, the cinematic experience was was sorely missing mm. from my from my gameplay. Like I was having more fun with that one, just tooling around and, and dropping off cliffs and jumping into co-op games. Yeah, uh, it, uh, it. It's good game. Don't get me wrong. And then, yeah, it's it's up there with uh you know, my other experiences this year, but God of War so far feels like a complete package. Like the combat feels solid. The story's really cool. The character interactions are really well done. It looks amazing. The voice acting is really good. Everything about it is just to the nines, like top notch stuff. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's good stuff. That's awesome. I, I, not that I didn't want to check it out, but where I hadn't played any God of Wars before, I didn't think that I was going to actually understand what was going on, really. And that's it's good to know that you can just kind of jump into this one without having to play the trilogy, because that was my big kind of like stopping spot. Um, He's, uh, you know, in the story so far, there hasn't been this direct sort of this is happening because of what happened in the first games. But there's a hint that there's more to Kratos than meets the eye. Mm. and uh, he's not, you know, he's not a transformer, but he is, you know, he is someone who has a past that is affecting his present, you know, and it's not like, oh, you did these specific things in your previous games. And that's why this is happening. That's not the case. Like he's just, he's, he's a more complex character now that he has a, he has a kid and he has a wife and, you know, uh, he has anger issues still, but, uh, he's dealing with them. Um, and there's some little, the same character, even though. You know, he, an evolved version of the same character. Evolved version of Kratos is a really good way to explain it. Like he he is who he was, but he's learned a lot from his experiences. And um, but he's still got those issues. And he is a god like you. You gather that much. He is still the god of war. And I think that it, it's all in the title that he is the god of war. <laughs> he's Kratos. He's Greek. I never would have guessed that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he's he's out of he's a fish out of uh, he's a fish out of water because he's he's from he's a he's a greek god and he's in he's clearly in like a norse 
area, you know, you, when you start up the map and you open it up, it's like, oh, this is Midgard, you know, like they're pretty forward about that right at the beginning. Uh, and, you know, sometimes they don't take too kindly to strangers, I guess. I don't, mm. That's all I'll say. All right. Uh, yeah, maybe I will actually uh, pick it up and check it out then. Uh, one thing I did check out this week and I have sunk so many hours into this game. There's something about like strategy games like just single player strategy games that suck me in so hard. And so this week I, I played Frostpunk, which just came out on Tuesday. And the general idea is that you are some of the last survivors on earth uh, there. It's like the uh, late 1800s and the earth has been hit with this like catastrophic ice age, basically. Mm. So there's no enemy to defeat necessarily like there's no bad guys there's no zombies there's nothing like that what you're trying to fight is the cold so you have to like gather resources you have to gather steel wood coal and uh food in order to kind of like build up your the last city on earth and so you're everything's kind of centered around the central point which is your generator and then you have to, you know, build shelters and medical stuff and send out scouts and, and do all these kind of different things. And all of it culminates in a big event. I won't say what the big event is, but basically if your city manages to survive the big event, then you win the game. So I completed the main campaign, um, the main scenario, which then unlocked oh. two other scenarios. And when I say I did like. I think it took me, I think I've got like 12 hours played now. And I think um, probably took me about eight hours to do the main campaign. I think obviously because you can slow and speed up time. Each person's playthrough time is going to vary. Um, but it's a very complicated, complex strategy simulation. Um it took me a long time to kind of like, and, and I, I failed a couple times before I actually completed the main scenario, but um, it's very, it's very, very complicated. There's like a four different tech trees and each tech tree has six different unlockable layers. So when you um, unlock a layer of a tech tree, it basically like you unlock all the second layer of all four of the trees sort of thing. Oh, so, wow. But one of those, um, like you have to take the time and resources to research. Like, I think th it, there's like a drafting table and then like advanced blueprints or something. So you have to like take the time and resources to actually unlock more parts of your tech tree. It's not just like once you fill in everything, it'll unlock the next layer. So I think like it it was really, really complicated. And the reason that I failed was I didn't really take the time to understand the fact that I wasn't going to be able to eventually just do everything. This game is so much about choices because there's a, another kind of um, fail. It's not just that like all your people have to survive or, or some of your people have to survive. There's also other failure conditions that have to do with your um, like management and like, I guess, ruling style. So there's hope and discontent. And if your hope reaches zero or your discontent reaches a hundred, then you fail as well. Hmm. So, um, and there's like different laws you enact that will, you know, help you with resources or help you with hope or get rid of discontent and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of different stuff to manage. 
And I didn't realize that some things were straight up trade-offs. Like, for instance, um, I think you can choose to help uh, kind of stretch your food further. You can either add sawdust to it or you can um, add water to it. So you can water it down. So you make either like sawdust meals with like filler in them or you make watered down soup. And Hmm. you make one or the other and each of them has their own like drawbacks and perks like you can make more of the sawdust food than you can make because water's a resource too so you can make more of the sawdust food than you can of the soup but people could potentially get sick from eating sawdust yeah so, like, that's a thing soup is safer but your yields are higher if you go with sawdust so it's like it, there's all these kinds of um different trade-offs that you can choose to make and um it's a it's quite a punishing game when it comes to simulations and strategy games, because when in a lot of other games that I've played, if you have like tech trees or any sort of thing that you have to do over time or research or whatever, if you choose to swap the thing you're working on, you like save your progress towards that first thing and you get your or you get your resources back or in some cases both. In this case, it's like. Even if you're 95 percent of the way through researching something if you cancel that research you lose everything and Mm. the and you like so you have to start all over with that one thing and you have to get the resources again so so you want you have to commit so when you're committing to something you got to be pretty damn sure that you're going to be able to complete it exactly that's a big deal yeah no this game is made by the guys who did or the team that did uh this war of mine where which was like sort of a um like a country being war torn and you it was like a civilian survivor mm-hmm. uh, simulator where you literally had to rob from grandma to feed grandpa mm-hmm. and and you know one of them will die if you don't kind of you know do what you need to do and there and there were those dark decisions of like do you bring the kid in or you know and risk having you know less food or do you leave the kid out and possibly have danger you know for Will Robinson so it's like it's it's one of those it's one of it sounds like it's one of those games and I've heard it's even more sort of dark than, uh, well, than I mean this it is because it's very much um there is a whole lot of life or death um there's also like a ticker at the top that'll show you like um your days that have passed and then when the temperature like basically the weather so when the temperature is going to drop further when it's going to come back up again um and so there is a lot to manage in terms of like who you're going to heat, who you're not going to heat, like managing all of your just managing your resources to try to keep as many people alive and healthy and fed. And there are a lot of moral decisions. Like one of the ones you can make very, very early on in the game is child labor. So you can either say like, yes, I'm going to allow child labor, send the kids to, and then you have a decision whether you want to, force the kids to work any any job or if you want to just make the kids work in like safe jobs so like don't send them to the mines don't send them to the really cold buildings where they could get frostbite and have their limbs chopped off like oh yeah oh yeah there's yeah the amputees are a a thing that you have to manage later on in the game (laughs) 
And, Do you get then, cool like steampunk arms and stuff? Well, that's for these the thing. Folks? You can choose to research prosthetics, and then you can yeah. basically turn your amputees into no longer amputees, and they can go back to work because now they have like prosthetics. Just like legs, preemptively then, yeah. chop their arms off and be like, <laughs> now you've got a pickaxe for an arm, and you'll be perfect. In <laughs> exactly. Mind. Um, yeah. So, but I feel like the the piece that's missing is there are decisions like that that you have to make, but then outside of little messages that pop up in the bottom of your screen with like people's pictures and names and stuff, which are very, very easy to just ignore from like a UI gameplay perspective. Um, it's you, you're like this omnipotent being sort of thing where you have your like top down view of your city and, and like there you're missing that kind of personal connection really like, mm. I don't remember any of the names of any of my citizens, like nothing really. It's, it's not that. No, but like <laughs> it just it doesn't have that that level of personal con connection. So it's like it's a lot easier because of just the design of the game to make decisions based purely on numbers as opposed like, to sending the kids to the mine. Right. Like we're, <laughs> we're on the same page here that you don't send kids to the mine. Or is that something you well, did? See, I did it the first time and then I oh. didn't do it the second time. And it worked out better the second time because one of the choices you can make if you provide a basically like a child care center to give them somewhere safe to go during the day that eventually you can turn into like a school and then the kids will help out in the medical tents and then it's like so you're basically like teaching them and your people in that are in the medical tents that are sick get better faster and go back to work faster if you took that route. But it takes a really long time to get there. Um, the first time I was like, yeah, sure. Send the kids into the mine. Why not? I need more coal. Let's go. <laughs> think of how good they'll be at amputating if you teach them how to do it properly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, like I was watching. Uh, this is totally well, kind of on point, but not really. I was watching Terror, the Terror, which is an AMC show. Uh, and it's all about uh, those boats that went missing through the Northwest Passage. And and it, sh it showcases the brutality of, you know, extreme cold mm. uh, and, and all that fun stuff. And yeah, amputating. It's a thing they show. Not fun to watch or listen to. And <laughs> I imagine there's a lot of that in this game. Now, now is it? Well, but see, uh, that's I, the thing. You don't watch it or listen to it. And I feel like uh, to compare it to something else that we've covered on the Gamers in uh, sure. Beholder, I okay. felt um, I had a lot more of a connection with those characters that were living in my building just because of the like view that you have. Right. Like the, it's a lot easier to tell like, OK, yeah, I know that's the couple that lives in apartment 2A. Like there's that level of connection because you can see them the whole time. You see them talking and interacting to, with each other. because That's the whole point of the game is you're spying on them. Um, but with Frostpunk, like they're little blips on the map. Like they're not actually like recognizable, mm. interactable people. And I find like, cause every once in a while you'll have these kind of scenarios pop up and it'll be like, just like generic woman or generic man, like that just kind of fits the steampunky kind of theme and looks really dirty and you know, like, but they're, they're very generic. There's not a lot of stuff that like, I think it's just generic pieces of artwork um, and it'll just pop up and say like, um, please, you have to do something like our homes are too cold or our workplaces are too cold. And then you can make promises, be like, yeah, OK, I'll heat, you know, three, three of the 10 homes or 10 of the 10 homes. And then you have a certain set amount of time to do that. 
And that's hmm. the closest that you get to actually like having a full screen view of some of your citizens. But like I said, they don't really have anything that makes them interesting and unique and memorable. And I can kind of understand why. Like, I think I I ended my city with like almost 400 people, I think, when I actually won the scenario. So obviously that's a lot different than like Beholder that had an apartment of like six rooms aside from your own apartment. So, right. you know, it's a lot easier to convey six stories than it is to convey 400 stories i get that but it just because they want you to make moral decisions it's a lot easier to just look at the numbers instead of worrying about the people if that makes sense yeah you're a lot less invested well that's what in the individual that's what a leader has to do right i I Uh, guess so yeah to, to a certain extent you know like it sounds a bit cold to say that but at the end of the day you're you're thinking of preserving and saving the civilization. I believe the story behind this is that you are the last bastion of humanity, right? Yes. Is that the, yeah. So maybe what they do is they, they pull at your, so this war of mine was really good at pulling at your heartstrings with individual characters that they would build out with this. It sounds like they're pulling at your heartstrings at the fact that this is the final civilization for humanity, make it work. Mm-hmm. And they put you to it. And I guess maybe that's what tries to sway you. And it's less about like, Oh man, am I going to send little little Timmy to the mines, or am I going to make sure that uh, I, I heat his home? Like the mines are heated, Timmy, have at her, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is kind of like what I, I wish. Because the the other flip side of that is even when you have to do something like um, triage is something that you can basically enact, uh, and what that does is it heals like sixty five percent of your uh, sick and wounded very mm-hmm. quickly but the rest of them will die. And so it's like, it's not something you necessarily want to be doing all the time, but even if those people die, it's just like, it's a little pop up on the far left. Like, I feel like a lot of this just comes down to UI choices because it'll pop up over on the left-hand side and just say like 15 of your people died. And like, it's, it's way off the side of the screen. It's really easy to kind of ignore there's notifications popping up all the time. So it doesn't really feel like it doesn't carry any weight. Like if it was like red text that popped up or something that was like five people died, like right in the middle of my screen, I'd be like, damn, like, oops. (laughs) But because it's just kind of off to the side and same with these pop-ups from people um, and their kind of like feedback and stuff, because you'll see your like hope and discontent going up and down whenever you make a decision. And these, decisions are then pop up these little like text blocks to to give you an idea of like why people are upset or why people support whatever decision you just made um but like i say they're they're kind of throwaway because the bar is right there all the time and you can just see how much your discontent went up or down or whatever so right the the um the feedback from the people just becomes easily ignored so i like i i understand what they were trying to do with the like moral decisions and stuff but uh i think it just because of the style of game that's just something that's really hard to do yeah so it's interesting and i think like i was playing it all on medium settings and i found it quite challenging because it is very complicated and there's a lot of kind of balls in the air to be juggled I want to try it on hard because I feel like it might be nearly impossible. Like I just assumed it took me, I didn't find the settings for like difficulties of scenarios and stuff um, through my first playthroughs. 
So it was just all on, you know, medium, normal difficulty, whatever default stuff. Um, I want to go back and play through on hard because I just assume there's either only one difficulty or that, you know, that was just like, or I was playing on the hardest difficulty. Like it was super challenging, which I like out of my kind of strategy games. So um, I've been having so, so much fun with it. I think they did miss the mark a little bit with just like making you really feel your moral choices, but um, it's still really, really fun. And like partway through, you get a new like book of laws that you can use. So the first set of laws that's available to you are the adaptation laws. And those all have to do with your um, like your food and your heating and your, you know, just general societal stuff. Then an event happens and you have to choose how you're going to govern. So you have the choice of governing basically through faith like churchy stuff, or you can govern through order, which is obviously the one that I chose. So hmm. I kind of want to go through and play because I got to like, I finished the scenario. So I got to unlock the final order thing, which basically means that you um, no longer have to worry about the hope modifier because you basically execute all of your um, like anyone who's like speaking out against you, you just execute them. <laughs> that's like, nice. That's the be all end all of the order kind of laws. So I'd like to go through because I feel like if I had picked faith, the be all end all might have eventually been like there's no more discontent. That's the one you don't have to worry about, but you have to make sure that you upkeep all the hope and stuff. So it was like I say, it's very complicated. It's very interesting. There's a lot of different things like you have to manage your tech trees. You have to manage your laws. You have to manage all of your resources and you have to make sure through all of this that you're keeping your generator running, which is harder than it sounds. Yeah, <laughs> so, well, you have to keep everything like your buildings. If they get too cold, your buildings will start um, to like people will refuse to work in them. So then it's like you're expecting so much of your coal to be coming in from your coal mines and then your miners are like too cold. And then you're just like, oh, no, well, now I can't run the generator. And, you know, so it can like very quickly spiral out of control. And it's all because of this like background mechanic of just heat. So hmm. it, it was really fun. It's really interesting. Once you complete the main scenario as well, there's also uh, two others that unlock that are like special scenarios and i tried the first scenario and i failed real hard um oh. and it's basically like you have created uh i think they're like arcs basically and they contain like the last remnants of plants on earth sort of thing so you have to make sure that you keep them warm enough they're like greenhouses you have to keep them warm enough so the plants don't die um, and so there's, you start the scenario with four of them and then it gets colder and colder and colder and colder. And you have to make sure that all the plants survive. Um, it's really neat. And then there's another one, the other scenario, which I haven't tried yet, I think has to do, it's like a refugee crisis. So there's like constantly more people coming into your city. So you have to try to deal with all of the different refugees and the problems that come with them, like all the disease and the, you know, just the, need for extra food and housing and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's like you just constantly have more people coming in. So there's uh, some really interesting scenarios outside the main one that you unlock once you beat the main scenario. And uh, yeah, it's oh, I even I forgot there's even another thing that you have to manage and that's scouts. You can send out scouts to try to find resources and survivors and, and other settlements and outposts and stuff. And 
again, that's another thing that you're just constantly trying to juggle. So <laughs> it's it's complicated and, and deep and I'm really enjoying it. I highly recommend anyone who likes anything like this simulation strategy type games. Go check out Frostpunk because it's it's really good. <laughs> yeah, seems different enough that that it yes. would. It's just not another civilization. It's not another, you know, uh, RTS that the or Age of Empires or whatever. It's different, which honestly is really nice to see. You know, different games popping into that genre because it's mm -hmm. usually dominated by sequels and remakes and all that fun stuff. So and there's usually really a good. level of combat because even um, like looking at uh, oh crap, what was it? Um, they are billions had a similar kind of feel where you have a limited amount of time to try to save the last of humanity. But then there was a lot of combat in that one because you were going up against zombies like there are no bad guys. There are no like there's no combat. There's nothing threatening your city other than the fact that like I think by the end of the game, it was like minus 120 or something <laughs> mm. degrees Celsius. Like it was super, super, super cold. And that's the only thing you really have to manage is just you have to live through the cold. And it's a uh, it's a different spin on at least a lot of the strategy type games that I've played lately. Usually yeah. there's there's some sort of combat and some sort of enemy and you have to build up an army. It's not like right. that at all. You have workers and you have engineers and that's it. So it's uh, it was I, I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm going to I'm going to keep playing through it. Cool. Well, I'm glad to hear. I, I know it's, it's a game that was getting a lot of uh, good press. So it's good to hear that it's really good. Yeah, it's it's quite addictive. It's hard to put down. Cool. Cool. <laughs> uh, so before we run into news this week, we do have a patron ad from Simon. Uh, Ryan, do you want to read this? Of course. Uh, returning from a hiatus, Weekly News Desk is a podcast all about the geek news this week. They are back with Yay! new episodes. Join your two Knuckle head hosts, Andrew and Simon, as they keep you informed on movies, TV, video games, and books. Find them on iTunes or at weeklynews.com. And if you guys would like to sponsor the Gamers Inn and throw an ad into our episodes, you can do so by supporting us over on patreon.com slash the Gamers Inn. Also, don't forget to join our Discord, which is bit.ly slash TGI Discord. That is where we pull everybody that we play game nights with. We do game nights once a month. Usually it's every third Thursday. But um, Ryan was traveling last week, so we're actually mm. doing it tonight after the show. Uh, so, yeah, go to bit.ly slash TGI Discord to join in all the fun. That brings us to our topic of the week this week. We are talking about The Witcher, which has a Netflix series. It's going to have eight episodes of awesome coming in 2020. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exciting. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that because, I mean, we've had so many video game movies and so much like video game pop culture news and stuff and people trying to do things. I'm glad that Netflix is doing stuff because I know the one Netflix series was that we did watch was the uh, Castlevania anime and it was so good. <laughs> yeah, they, did, they did a really good job capturing, you know, th that series while still making a, 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 you know, a solid animation project. And, and I think with Netflix, you know, we always say like, Oh, we should have Netflix do it. I think there's, there's good reason for it because yeah. they have a really good track record at adapting material and, and, you don't even Marvel. notice it, you know, <laughs> like uh, it, it's crazy. So I, I think it'll be really cool to see The Witcher arrive on on television. You know, I think it's a it's like Game of Thrones. If you tried to do a movie, you would just butcher it because yeah. you can't do it in an hour There's and a half. There's too much stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And well, so, I mean, I am a very, very strong advocate for when you are adapting 
either a book or a video game or like any sort of other medium when you're adapting that to either film or television television is the way to go like you can tell a good story in a movie i think like quiet place is a great example of that but like when you're going from a novel or a series of novels or a 50 hour video game or or in the case of the witcher much much longer you've got a whole trilogy to pull from i mean you just can't condense all of that stuff into a good two-hour movie you just can't do it so unless you're going to get greenlit for 15 years of movies like Marvel or like, you know, doing one movie per whatever book, even then with a video game, you've just got so much story. Even if you condensed all of the cutscenes from the video game, most of the time you're going to be over two hours if you've got a game like The Witcher. So I am a huge advocate for TV adaptations. I think there's a lot more room to play with it there. And I'm really glad that Netflix is getting behind this because I think they are the right person to do it. Yeah. And even the, you know, the writer, uh, Lauren, I won't say her last name because I'll butcher it, but she was the co-executive producer on Marvel's Daredevil, which I feel I still think exists as the probably one of the best adaptations that netflix has done Uh, (laughs) that's so funny because honestly i saw that she was involved in daredevil and i was like oh (laughs) the first daredevil was a really good adaptation Uh, it was okay i could it took me i still have never seen the full first season i watched the first couple Mm. episodes and fell right off and then just watched the previously on at the beginning of the second season uh daredevil was was pretty okay um i liked jessica jones at least the first season of jessica jones but uh iron fist man uh, okay, maybe Netflix doesn't have the greatest track record, but at least they're trying something new. Uh, I mean, I don't think any of the other companies are really looking at this and saying we need to make a video game series. And I still feel like it's a it, it's Netflix's, you know, Amazon is is doing Lord of the Rings. Obviously, HBO has. Uh, game I don't Thrones. know why that is happening. I think that's really dumb. <laughs> the movies were perfect. Don't don't mess with it. I mean, what if they decided to redo The Hobbit? I mean, your argument that they were were perfect is. The first three, The Lord of the Rings, they were great. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But I'm saying like, what if Amazon said we're going to do The Hobbit again? We're going to take another fresh crack at it. I think The Hobbit could use a fresh crack. I think The Hobbit probably should have been two instead of three, but we're getting way off topic. Yeah, so anyways, <laughs> uh, Netflix is going to have their Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings. It's it's The Witcher. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's exciting. I want to see who plays these characters because I feel like Netflix has that that balance. You know, they're going to look at casting someone who really... They, they, they've always done great casting. I think if there's anything we can agree on uh, in terms of their adaptations, they've done great with casting. Uh, these characters yeah i agree and they they do tend to be um quite close to the source material i'll put Mm -hmm. it that way like they do tend to stay true to the original plan feel aesthetic like all that kind of stuff so i'm looking forward to seeing what they do i think it's going to be great i think you know netflix tends to take a lot more chances than traditional uh television so i think that that's going to be really good for the witcher as well so i'm Mm -hmm. looking forward to it i'm going to watch it it's only going to be eight episodes but i think that's good because as they mentioned in the ign article they're able to take the budget and then condense it a little bit and they're then do a better job of like the big monsters that he fights and stuff like that like that takes a lot of um it takes a lot of planning a lot of budget it's really big exactly so i think that they need to 
they need to make sure that they're not stretching it out for the sake of having 10 or 12 episodes. Like, I like that they're just like, nope, you know what? We have a story. We're going to tell it in eight and we're going to do a really good job with the visuals. And yeah. I think that's the better way to do it. Eight is perfect because honestly, I'm finding it hard to even watch the 12 or 10 episode series. I think eight is is excellent, especially if you're looking like The Witcher is a very dense universe. There's lots in there and you're going to just be tripping over explanations if you try to like extend it past eight hours. Like, I don't think you're going to capture because Netflix is also about making sure that it's a, at least, you know, maximize the audience and the Witcher in comparison to, I mean, if you look at game of Thrones, I think that's something they did. They did really well with is they, they kind of adapted it really well. So anybody could watch it, you know, anybody over, you know, of a, of a certain age due to, you know, nudity, but, uh, the Witcher also has that. So, you know, kids beware, but, uh, I, I'm looking forward to it. Not because of what I just said, but because of, uh, the series. You're all about whole. the nudity and the threesomes tonight, eh? I'm just having a great time. <laughs> so yeah, the Witchers, I'm looking forward to it. Yep. I think that's pretty much going to do it for us tonight. Thank you guys so much for hanging out and listening. If you are currently live in the chat room, we are going to be flipping over. Ryan's going to run the stream and we're going to be playing some battle right right after this. So don't go anywhere. If you'd like to join us again, make sure that you are over in our discord, which is bit.ly slash TGI discord and uh, join up in those patron voice chats so we can drag you into the live stream. Really looking forward to it. I played some of the, I played through the tutorials this afternoon and, uh, it's pretty fun. I hadn't actually tried this game before, so it was uh, really, really cool and really interesting. So I'm looking forward to playing with you guys. Um, that's going to do it for us tonight. You can visit us on the web at gamersandpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter. You can find me, Jocelyn, at Plays. Ryan is at Murphy, And don't forget to follow the show at The Gamers Inn. The video versions of all our episodes are streamed on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash thegamersin and are available after the fact on both Twitch and at bit.ly slash TGIVODs. You can email the show and let us know what you thought about God of War or Frostpunk uh, by emailing info at gamersinpodcast.com. Thanks for staying at the Gamers Inn. Remember, see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye, everyone. <laughs>